I hope you all had a great Christmas. Uh, we had a, a day where we just got to be in our pajamas all day, and when we get a day like that, we know that's a, that's a good thing. So I hope, I hope you had a, a good one as well. Um, we are here, Pastor David mentioned, the end of 2017, and this is, a, this is an interesting year because I don't know if many of you remember. Now, I don't preach every week, so the weeks I do, I, I kind of remember. This is a unique year. January 1st, 2017 was a Sunday. And I got to share on that day, and here we are 12 months later on December 31st, and we're back. And so uh, perhaps a good way to do a year, start it in the house of God worshiping together and end it in that same way. So that's where we are today. We are in a current series called How To, and we're just walking through different life principles and how the Bible can help us navigate through each of these. So if you brought your Bible this morning, I encourage you to open it up. We're going to look at 2 Timothy chapter 4. 2 Timothy chapter 4, and we'll get there in just a moment. But this letter to Timothy, while it's not the last of Paul's letters in the Bible, uh, it is the last one that he wrote. Here we are at the end of Paul's ministry and all that he has done. These are the, this is a final glimpse into his thoughts and what's going on in his life. He is at the point where he is finishing his ministry. These are the last of his teachings that were, were recorded in written form that we still have today that, that I'm aware of. And it brings me to this idea of, of finishing well, how to finish well. And if I, if I get anything out of Paul's writings in his ministry and his life, that was one thing that he did. As we see in this letter, his final thoughts, he finished well. And we want to do the same in all areas of our life. And you may, able, may be able to think of people you know who didn't finish well, and we'll look at a few examples of that. But you may also have examples that you know of in your own life of people who finished well, who, who ran their entire right, race and did it uh, above, and, above any kind of reproach. I think of there are many areas in my mom's life, and she's passed three years now, but she finished well. The, the last few moments on this earth for my mom were exactly as how she wanted it to be. And she finished well. So we, we have these examples. So um, we're going to talk about that tonight. In the case of this letter to Timothy, it's the end of Paul's ministry. It, it ends up being very near the end of his life as well. Uh, but there's this lifestyle pattern that we see at the end of his days, at the end of his ministry, but also things that he did throughout his ministry that will help us learn how to do that. And we finish, we finish things every day. We finish the end of a day. We finish the end of a season in our life. We'll do that as the calendar turns over to tomorrow. Uh, and then ultimately, we finish the end of our life here on earth. So finishing is something that we actually experience on a daily basis. So uh, if you'll join me, 2 Timothy chapter 4, I want to read the first eight verses and we'll look at this this morning. He says this, I solemnly urge you in the presence of God and Christ Jesus, who will someday judge the living and the dead when he comes to set up his kingdom. Preach the word of God. Be prepared whether the time is favorable or not. Patiently correct, rebuke, and encourage your people with good teaching. For a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. But you should keep a clear mind in every situation. Don't be afraid of suffering for the Lord. Work at telling others the good news 
and fully carry out the ministry God has given you. As for me, my life has already been poured out as an offering to God. The time of my death is near. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, and I have remained faithful. And now the prize awaits me, the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his return. And the prize is not just for me, but for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. There's a verse in there that for years has stood out to me. And it's verse 6 where he talks about his life being poured out. Paul talks of his life being poured out. And that's an an incredible, I get this word picture as I read through that phrase. And many of us, I think, could imagine what a cup would look like as you pour it out. And as you turn it over and the contents is completely gone. There's nothing left in the cup. It's completely empty. So that's one image I get. But he, he references in different times uh, using this expression about poured out like an offering. And there is a, a, an offering that's poured out over the altar, a cup of wine that is poured out over the altar. And that creates another dynamic because the offering that actually hits the fire, what happens to it? It's completely consumed. Now, we can, we can talk about whether it was a, a juice or a wine. Either way, it's completely consumed by fire. It's very different. There are different classifications of fire, and some things that burn will leave a residue. There'll be ash or charcoal left over in the fire pit. But a, a liquid fire, something that's completely consumed, leaves, there's nothing left. So I get these images as I think about Paul talking about being poured out and then on the fire completely consumed. There's nothing left. And the other image we get in this illustration is that of Jesus himself, who gave everything on our behalf. So these, all, of these, all of these images are going through my mind as I think about uh, Paul's words about being poured out. And it isn't just something that he uses here at the end of his life. And we'll look in a few minutes. He mentions it in Philippians as well that his life was being poured out as an offering, that letter was written 10 years prior. So it isn't just an end-of-days thing. It's a lifestyle of doing ministry by pouring yourselves out. So it's it's an interesting picture that we get. Well, why is this important? Why is it important to have a lifestyle of finishing well? Paul was pretty emphatic about this idea of running the race because there is so much at stake. There is so much at stake. We may start out well, or, and, and some people actually end up wandering away. And there's too much to risk in that. In fact, Paul gives examples uh, later on in chapter 4 and in chapter 3 of people who didn't finish well. He talks about a man named Demas who deserted Paul in his ministry. He loved the things of the world, and he, he decided to walk away from what he was doing and go another direction. He talks about a, a coppersmith named Alexander who hurt him hurt his ministry and what he was doing. He goes on to say in verse 16, he talks about the first time that he was taken to court. All of the people that were with him deserted him, and he ended up standing alone in front of the judge. And we see examples of people who have been recorded forever in history who didn't finish well. And it shouldn't be surprising because just back in chapter 3, he talks about what's going to happen at the end of the days. It said people will become boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful. And there's this this great danger in not finishing well. And what does that mean for us? 
So there are examples of how not to do it raises the question, how do we do it well? How do we finish well in our walk with Christ, in our homes, in our jobs, at every stage, every day we want to finish well, at the end of every season we want to finish well, so that at the end of our life we can have this same testimony that we finished well. So I want to give you a couple of different ways that you can begin to uh, speak into your life so that you have this lifestyle of finishing well. Many of them you may be aware of, many of them you're doing. Let me just encourage you to keep doing because there is much at stake in all of this. So the first one I want to uh, share with you is this idea, uh, we need to determine to adopt the character of Christ. We need to determine to adopt the character of Christ. If I were to have an opportunity to rewrite this point after the slides were made and the the live version was put on the the Bible app, it would have been something about follow-through and finishing and taking things to completion. Because back in verse 5 of the passage we read in 2 Timothy, uh, Paul is reminding Timothy about what Christ told him to do, and he needs to follow through with all of that. And character, our character is one way that we can do that. I heard recently a, a, a simple definition of character that really is sticking with me, and it says this, character is the ability to follow through on a worthy decision long after the emotion of making that decision has passed. Let me share that again. Character is the ability to follow through on a worthy decision long after the emotion of making that decision has passed. We may hear of a cause, or God may speak to us, and we we make this decision that we're going to go and do something for God. Uh, But our character is what will help us walk that to completion. Pastor Steve mentioned uh, a few weeks ago, he used this illustration about people who have started out on a journey, and they, they get along the way, and then things become difficult. And we find that they have, they've stepped aside, and they've walked away from that direction. And, well, why did you do that? Well, the road got pretty difficult. Well, I don't know that we're ever promised that the road is going to be easy. But people of character, people of godly, Christ-like character will follow through regardless of all of that. Christ-like character would cause us to follow through because failure to do so can be costly. I, as I was developing this, uh, uh, I started dwelling on this memory uh, when I was in the service. Now, on board a Navy ship, if there's a disaster, you can't call the fire department. They don't make visits to the middle of the ocean. So everybody on board the ship has to be trained to fight fires. And I remember being in firefighting training, and we spent a couple of days in San Diego, and they go through all the different roles and responsibility and jobs of what it means to to fight fires on board the ship. And one of the stations is the gentleman who's got got this massive lever, and by opening this valve, he charges the fire hoses that supply water to the individuals who are in fighting the fire. And his job is to never let go of that lever. And for a couple of different reasons, he may have to cycle it to to make sure the water flow continues, but his job is to never let go of that device because otherwise he leaves those fighting the fire without any water. And so to drive this point home, after we've gone through all the the classroom work, they send us to this this area where they've got a room set up and they, they light it on fire. They're feeding it with fuel, and those are live flames. And so the crew gets ready to go in, and the individual charges the fire hoses, and they go into the burning room. 
And while he's standing there, this brand new guy who's just learning, developing character of fighting fires, the instructor comes over and he taps him on the shoulder and says, come here. And he starts running and he lets go of the lever and he starts running following after the instructor. And another instructor comes in behind him and shuts the water off. And the individuals are left in the burning room with no water. And in that moment, I realized failure to follow through on his job would be very, very costly. Now, it was a training exercise, and they did that on purpose, but it, it drives home this point is we need to have this idea of follow-through. And I think godly character is a key to that. Let me share how we grow character. I want to uh, share with a passage out of Romans chapter 5, verses 3 through 5. It says this, We can rejoice, too, when we run into problems and trials, for we know that they help us develop endurance. And endurance develops strength of character, and character strengthens our confident hope of salvation. And this hope will not lead to disappointment, for we know how dearly God loves us because he has given us the Holy Spirit to fill our hearts with his love. Struggles and endurance developing our character. One of the things that I know about trials and tribulation is they reveal our character. When we're going through difficult times, how we respond in our actions, in our words, reveals something about our character. But we can't just settle for that because sometimes things that are revealed are things we don't like about us. The other thing, though, that these trials do is they help us develop character. As we practice endurance, as we walk through these trials... The Bible tells us that our character is, in, is developed and that, that feeds into our confidence and our hope and our salvation. It's an important aspect of it. We as, as pastors and other leaders here who are part of the, the altar ministry, we pray on a regular basis for people who are going through struggles. And it's biblical and it's okay to pray for them to get through these struggles or for them to be taken away or for them to, to get through them quickly and pass. And that's okay to pray that. But as I read this passage in Romans, it reminds me, maybe I should also be asking in the midst of that, what's being revealed about my character and, and how can I grow through this trial? Not to just get through it, but to grow through it. So then, then you become the person who can walk the next individual through it. And it's not a new idea because back in, in Deuteronomy in chapter, uh, in chapter 8, Moses is talking, he talks about the wilderness experience that Israel went through and how it was a character-developing time to reveal who Israel was and to help them grow into who God wanted them to be. This idea of working on our character is a continuous effort. We, 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 we don't get to a point where we say, I've achieved it. We work on it continuously because Paul told the church in, in Corinth, it said in uh, 1533, 1 Corinthians 1533, don't be fooled by those who say such things, talking about those whose ministry and doctrine has kind of gone uh, sideways, if you will. He says, because this, for bad company corrupts good character. Bad company can corrupt, corrupt good character. And he's talking about believers who are, are disagreeing on doctrine, but how much more so when we rub shoulders with a regular basis on the world? 
If we're not influencing them, they're influencing us. And that bad company can corrupt our character. So this is a lifestyle of working on this. So to conform of the Im- to the image of Christ, which is the goal of every believer, we want to develop his character. So let me share with you several different uh, aspects, if you will, of, of Christ's character. First one is this. He was consecrated. He was set apart. He was set aside specifically to do a work that God called him to do. In Luke chapter 2, Jesus told his parents, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house doing his business? He was set aside, consecrated for that work. Jesus was a servant. Matthew 20, 26 said, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a servant. That's a characteristic of, of Christ. He was faithful. He says in Luke chapter 16, if you are faithful in little things, then you will be faithful in large ones. Part of his character was worship. Right before they went to Gethsemane, right before the crucifixion, as they finished the Last Supper, one of their last acts before they left that room was they sang a hymn. They worshiped. That's a characteristic of Christ. He had compassion. We read in Scripture about how he would take the little children and put them on his lap. That was, that was who Jesus was. He had, he had joy. John chapter 15, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. He had peace. Isaiah prophesied that one of Christ's names or titles would be the Prince of Peace. And he had a characteristic trait of, of sacrifice. He said, if anyone of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross, and follow me. This, this list on the screen, these are the character traits of Christ. And these are the things that we want to continually be working on. So how do I work on my character? Here, here's, a, here's a list. You could work on this for the rest of your life. But there are just some ideas, some things that we can put out there to help us develop that Christ-like character so that we'll follow through to finish well. Another idea of how we can finish well is this idea of we want to design an intentional handoff. Design an intentional handoff. What do you mean by that? If you go back and read those first four chapters, Paul is talking to Timothy, who's already established in ministry, already is, is an overseer of churches and, and ministering, and Paul is encouraging him to keep doing that. This idea of developing an intentional handoff uh, reminds me of uh, track and runners in a race, a relay race. They have a metal baton that the goal is one runner will take off and pass the baton to the next. And the second runner will go with it as hard and as long as they can and pass it to the third and pass it to the fourth. And I, I looked, I have a, a track baton in, at the house somewhere and I couldn't put my hands on it. But for those of you who have run before, and I believe there are probably some in this room, the most horrific noise in a relay race is the ping sound of that metal baton being dropped on the track. And you know in that moment that the, you, can, you can scramble for it, you can jump out of your lane, you can grab it, but you're already too far behind. When you hear that ping of that drop baton, that handoff that was botched, you know that for you that race is pretty much over. And it's, it's a horrific thing. I want to share with you a quote from a pastor in, in Hawaii named Wayne Cordero uh, out of a book called Doing Church as a Team. He says this, You don't pass the baton in a relay race when you are already pooped out. You pass it at the very apex of your stride 
when you're, when you're at that fastest moment, before you get tired, before you start to slow down, you pass the baton, so it keeps moving forward. He goes on to say, the same is true in doing, in doing church as a team. Invite others into your ministry. Pass batons. Include new people. And don't be intimidated when others do it better. God will always have a place for you. And the greater a servant you are, the greater the joy you'll experience. If your gift is to build platforms for other emerging leaders, when they are successful, you will be called to build more. Paul didn't wait to this time where he's in a prison where he knows, okay, this is the last time. My life is about over. Maybe I should now look for someone that I can pass the baton to. The baton had already been passed to Timothy, and his ministry was going and flourishing. And as Paul released him, I'm sure he took others into his ministry and began to raise them up. So it's this idea of keeping the ministry, keeping it going forward, propelling it. Jesus picked his disciples very early in his ministry. As soon as his public ministry started, the first thing he did was identify individuals that he could raise up and pass the baton to. His plan was, was never to create a position or a pastorate on an earthly kingdom. His plan all along was to create a body of believers that would propel this ministry forward. And we have that example today. We read in Ephesians how the gift to the church are the apostles and the prophets and the evangelists and the pastors and the teachers who come alongside and they equip others to do his work, to build up the church, the body of Christ. That's how this is supposed to work. Here's an example of it being played out today. There's a ministry in the Chicago area, many of you are probably familiar with it, called Willow Creek Community Church. A little ministry started by a man named Bill Hybels. Uh, They recently completed a 7,100-seat auditorium that cost $73 million. Their weekly attendance is 26,000 individuals go through weekend services at Willow Creek. Pastor Bill is an author. He's probably considered an expert in the subject of leadership. He oversees the Global Leadership Summit. He is probably at that apex of ministry. It would be so easy for him to say, you know, look at all of this. I'm just going to keep doing this because look at the success that it is. But a few years ago, his board of elders came to him and said, Bill, what's your transition plan? Because you're, you're not going to be here forever. What's, what's the plan? How do, what does this look like as Willow Creek transitions? And he said, let me go pray about that. And he began to pray about it, and while the ministry was doing incredibly well, the leadership team put in a transition plan. They put everything in place so that that ministry would not be impacted by the transition of a leader. And it's already been started. They're actually going to divide the leadership of that church into two different different positions. Those individuals have been identified, and before 2018 is over, Bill Hybels will no longer be the lead pastor of Willow Creek. They were very intentional to design a handoff that is going to make one person's ministry finish well, but continue the ministry to propel forward. Now, we know that we don't always have that option. Some of you are very familiar about the vacuum created when that transition happens unexpectedly, and that's that's the exception. And in that case, the church comes together and, and does what it has to do to move forward. But this should be the model that we, we strive for. So how does that, how does that affect us? Because I, I don't know of anyone in this room that's pastoring a church of 26,000. If you're here, we can 
trade seats this morning. But for us, what does that look like? And I think about different ministries in this church, our front door ministries, our greeters, our ushers, our cafe workers. And when I have an opportunity to get them together as a team, I say, look, you people are equipped more than me to, to invite people to join that team, to pass that baton. You identify the person that's always first in line at the cafe getting a donut, which is probably my son, and say, hey, you know what? You'd be really good at this job. Why don't you come alongside? The people at the front door, when, and they've got that smile and that handshake, the person who comes through the door that's got that same smile and handshake, you'd be really good at this job. And you invite others in, and you pass that baton, and you build up teams. Because otherwise, everyone's looking at the pastor and say, uh, you need to find someone because I can't do this anymore. No, we do this as a team. We'd be very intentional about it. We develop youth to learn how to serve. They serve in their own youth service, and then we see them transition up onto the platform where they're doing ministry. No matter what ministry you serve in, make it a practice to invite and raise up new people, and don't be afraid to pass the baton. And then once you've done that, you either get to do it again or go find another area to serve in. It's called finishing well. We finish well with a, with a good handoff. quote I, I came across recently said this, Our greatest contribution may not be what we do, but who we raise up. Our greatest contribution may not be what we do, but who we raise up. It could be a child in our home. It could be someone else that we serve alongside in ministry. And here's the truth. Regardless of how unqualified or disqualified you may feel you are, you have the ability to influence someone, even if it's to not make the same mistakes that you made. And what if, what if you only influence one person? I, you know, in my whole life, I really only uh, came alongside and discipled one guy, this little kid named Bill Hybels. I, this is the only credit I have in discipleship, was someone who would go on and pastor 26,000 people. You don't have to do great things. You just have to influence someone. Pass that baton to keep things moving forward. Requiring well, or finishing well, I think requires an intentional plan to do this. You can pass the baton to yourself. At the end of the day, how do I pass the baton to tomorrow? Well, for me, and some of my coworkers know this, one of the things that frustrates me more than anything is picking out what to wear in the morning. Because when I get up in the morning, I just want to get out the door. And if I have to figure out what to wear, that's just going to derail my morning. So if I want to finish well today, I'm going to lay out my clothes for tomorrow. And what I've done is I've just set up my morning to start entirely different. Got the coffee maker all set to go. I've got my clothes laid out. I've got my bag packed by the door. <clears throat> I'm ready to go. How do we finish well at the end of a season? We capture lessons learned. We wrap something up and we say, okay, that was great. How do we do it better next year? I would be willing to wager a cup of coffee that Pastor Kyle is always already trying to figure out what Christmas of 2018 looks like and what special music are we going to develop because he's passionate about that. We're not satisfied with what happened this year. We're already beginning to capture what worked well, what didn't work well, and how can we do it better next time? That's passing the baton well at the end of a season. And then at the end of it all, when we pass the baton to all of the next days and all of the next seasons, we want to be able to have that same testimony that Paul did, that I'm, I'm poured out. 
We want to do it in a way that keeps the kingdom of God moving forward. We don't want to leave a vacuum or a void when we're, when we're done. A good friend of mine says this, you should never leave in such a way as to disrupt what God is doing. Don't do it. Find a way to keep it moving forward. Finishing well in this way sets us up to either do it again or do something new. Here's a final thought on finishing well. We've got to develop a daily practice of filling up and pouring out. Daily practice of filling up and pouring out. You can't pour out what you don't have, what hasn't been already poured into you. You've got to be filled up in order to do that. Paul talks about the different things in, in his life, in his, uh, in, in his walk, that I believe equipped him to do that. He said in one passage, he said, I speak in tongues more than any of you, but I also know his passion was to speak in an understandable language in front of people, so my guess is the time that he spent praying in the Spirit was his own filling up time, his personal uh, disciplines, if you will filled with the Holy Spirit in his prayer closet so that he could go and pour out and say, at the end of the day, I'm completely poured out like an offering. There's nothing left. And if God doesn't take me home, then tomorrow morning I'll go into my prayer closet and I'll fill up again. And it becomes this cycle of filling up and pouring out. There are many things that contribute to that. Fellowship, I think almost, I'm beginning to see a pattern. Almost every time I share, I keep coming back to Hebrews 10.25. Let us not neglect meeting together like we're doing in this room this morning. It's one of the ways that we fill up to go out and pour out into our community during the week. All of the disciplines that we know of as a believer, we spend time in our word. So two things have to happen. It requires that we continually pour ourselves out. We've actually got to do it because I believe there are followers of Christ who are on their knees saying, God, pour into me. Give me something new. Give me something more. And God is looking at them and said, you haven't done anything with what I've already given you. Are you loving your neighbor? Are you doing it? Are you representing Christ in your community? Are you, are you discipling? Because he, he, the things that he left us to do could take a lifetime. But some people are saying, give me more, give me more, give me more. And he's saying, I've given you what you need. Go do that and then come back for more. So we've actually got to go out and do that ministry, pour ourselves out. So then the second thing is that we can come back to him and ask to be filled up. Because otherwise, what's been poured into our lives will become stagnant. I'll just hold on to it. God's given me this gift of speaking, but... I'm just going to hold it to myself. It's going to rot. We can't do that. We've got to have this pattern going on and on and on and on. I do want to read that passage to you from Philippians. And it's out of chapter 2, verses 14 through 18. It's not on the screen, but listen to this. He says, Do everything without complaining and arguing so that no one can criticize you. Live clean, innocent lives as children of God, shining like bright lights and a world full of crooked and perverse people. Hold firmly to the word of life, that on the day of Christ's return, I will be proud that I did not run the race in vain and that my work was not useless. But I will rejoice even if I lose my life pouring it out like a liquid offering to God, just like, just like your faithful service is an offering to God. And I want all of you to share that joy. Yes, you should rejoice, and I will share your joy. 
written some 10 years before his second letter to Timothy. He was ready at that moment to be completely poured out, and he ministered, and he ministered, and he traveled, and then he would get filled up and then go out again and do it the next day. It's a, it's a pattern that has to continue. So let me begin to wrap this up. There's a passage uh, in Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. It starts off the, this way. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off everything that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. In chapter 11, he talks about the heroes of faith, the people who, not perfect, but strived after godly character and finished well. He says this is our, our, our huge crowd of witnesses, not necessarily them specifically, but their lives as a testimony. The witness is the life that they led, fulfilling what God called them to do, finishing well. And here's the thing. They finished well, but just a few verses before, it says this. All of these people earned a good reputation because of their faith, yet none of them received all that God had promised. If you're not seeing everything that God has promised you, you still walk by faith. That's your testimony. That's how you finish well. That even in the midst of that, of not receiving what you're striving after, because this world, on our lives on this planet are not the end. It's not. We keep going. How do we do all that? He says then in 12.2, he says we do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus. Finishing well is not about how you did compared to your neighbor. Jesus having a conversation with Peter after the resurrection. Jesus reveals to Peter that ultimately Peter will be called to give his life for the sake of the gospel. And Peter's first response is, well, what about John? Wait a minute here. And Jesus said, don't worry about him. You run the race I'm laying before you, and you do that well. We each need to run our own race. Is today going to be de- better than yesterday? Will tomorrow be better than today? Will this season be better than last season? Did I finish well? The reality is we're, we're each in a different position in our race. We're all at different points in our lives. Together, we each finish each day, so we can set our goal to finish today well. If I could preach to the choir for a moment, kudos for starting it out in church. It's a great way to start. As a church, we come together and we're, we're finishing the season of 2017, and I believe we're finishing it well. All the ministry that happened, all of the outreach, we need to set ourselves up for what 2018 holds because we want to finish 2018 well. And as long as God tarries, the next season and the next day, we want to finish well. Because the season of prayer and fasting is coming. And then right after that, the season of Easter is coming, which is another tremendous outreach. And then the next season and the next season. We want to set a goal of being able to testify, as Paul did, that at the end of the race, we're poured out, leaving nothing behind, having finished well, because heaven is next. We do this by striving to have the character of Christ, having a plan to pass that baton and build others up, and make a continual practice of pouring ourselves out and filling ourselves up. I invite you all to stand with me tonight or this morning.
throughout the week, we all go in different directions. But when we're here together as the church, we can say we are in this together. And how you each choose to wrap up 2017 tonight, I'm sure there are some of you who will be uh, ringing in the new year with loud festivities, and some of you will sleep right through it, like I'm hoping to. (laughs) By faith, the calendar will turn over without me watching it. But as a church, let's end well together. So in a moment, Pastor Kyle's going to lead, and here's my invitation this morning. That as many of you as are comfortable you'd find your way up to the front, family groups, friends, individuals, and we'll, we'll wrap this up this morning by having a time of prayer here together as a church family at the altar.